Well, hello, friends, and welcome to His Mighty Hand, the radio ministry and podcast ministry of the Highland Terrace Baptist Church, located in Greenville, Texas. Now, in these few moments we spend together each week, you'll hear great and stirring interviews and powerful messages from the Word of God. But the reason for it all is so you can be touched by... Chet Haney here today, and so glad to have my friend, Vicki Pearson. Vicki, we were talking in our previous um, segment about the uh, growth of the city of Allen, and uh, Greenville, Texas, is um, right now dealing with some planning and some uh, growth opportunities for the future. A lot of new retail has come in, and a lot of new housing Um Projects, you know, are underway right now with more um, on the uh, the plats have already been signed, you know, for more neighborhoods to be built sure. here. And I uh, wonder if you could just share with us, I know our church family would be curious to hear from your experience, what are some of the keys for a city and uh, churches within the city to try to manage the growth? It seems like Allen's growth has been very well planned out. You can go to some cities and you can think, uh, well, why didn't they plan this a little better? You know, I won't name anybody, of course, but uh, Allen sure seems to be a well-thought-out uh, city. What do you think was the key to that in terms of early stages of planning and things we could learn here in Greenville about planning our growth as a city? Well, I think in the case of Allen, number one, uh, it wasn't just an individual or a few individuals, the whole the whole town. Yeah. Uh, they wanted they wanted growth, but they wanted an organized plan growth. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I say that, uh, when you are particularly in the housing market, uh, a lot of the larger builders in particular yeah. uh, want to come in, and if you're not careful, they want to dump all of one kind of house that they think they can sell a starter house. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was one of the things that we really had to put our foot down and, and, and say, look, we'll allow you to build so many of those, but you've got to build so many of these others and so many of this. Mm-hmm. And so what you wind up with is a more planned community, one that people can come to and maybe in an affordable situation when they're young. Yeah. And if they like it, they can stay and grow right there in the city and grow with the, mm-hmm. and grow with the housing that's available to them. So the starter houses are easier for the contractors to sell. Well, they're less lower price. And yeah. so when you raise the price, you eliminate a certain number of people that can no longer afford that house. Right. And so, mm-hmm. uh, that's, uh, just, you know, one phase. Of course, uh, your, how you configure those and how your streets and, and all those things play and, and how much, uh, uh, how much park area you got, you know. And one of the things we did early is we, uh, 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 a fellow named John Horn, which I think some yeah. of our listeners will know, not, not the John Horn who was county judge here. Uh, uh the one from Mesquite? From, well, he, he, uh, was uh-huh. in Mesquite, but he's actually from Fairley. Right. Yeah. Uh, and that's, uh, that's where he lives now, in fact. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, John was a very, very organized person and his concept, of growth in a growth situation, and it, of course, his was based on the school district, but it was mm-hmm. contagious. 
Mm-hmm. He felt like if you weren't five years ahead, you were behind. And if you ever got That's behind, true. you would never catch up. Never catch up. That's a great and it's uh, a great way to look at a lot of things, isn't it? it? It is. It really is. I think I think it applies to the church, Jerry. It does. Uh, yeah, if you wait until you need it, you're too late. That's right. That's right. Yeah. But I, I think that's kind of the, the general concept that we worked mm-hmm. on. And uh, and uh, John and I spent a lot of time together because we work very closely with the schools uh-huh. in, in our parks. When so the, he was the superintendent in Allen before he went to Mesquite? Well, no, he actually was an assistant superintendent in Mesquite, and he came to Allen as superintendent. I see. And then he went back to Mesquite as superintendent. Gotcha. Uh, so, uh, but uh, John was one of the best organized uh, administrative people I, I've ever had the privilege to know. And uh, his, uh, I, I tried to pattern some of the decisions I made yeah. on. Uh, when I was a youth minister in Mesquite, I went to Mesquite High School with Rick Gage, the evangelist. Yeah see if we could have a school assembly to share the gospel with students and we sat in the office of principal john horn and we made our pitch and we didn't know what he was going to say but he was very gracious to open the doors of that school and let us have an assembly and i will tell you kids came out by the hundreds and many of them came to know the lord i've always appreciated dr horn for allowing us, you know, to to be able to work together. The schools and the churches yeah. working together is very important. Ted, if I could, I'd like to go back just a little bit and touch a little more on the family. And, that would be very and, much and, and appreciated. In particular, my family. That would be very much appreciated. Let's just segue back, uh, Mickey, because I'd love to hear about your family, about Carol. Okay. Uh, anything that you could share with us that would be, uh, um, you know, encouraging and uh, maybe inspiring to our listeners today. I know the, f- the culture that we're speaking of, you know, economically and um, education and all these things, sometimes in these days is not really particularly friendly to the family. No, uh, even, even in good circumstances, the culture can be so busy um, with all the things going on, you don't really have time uh, to focus on the family as, as you should. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I I had mentioned my mother and how strong she was, but I was fortunate enough to uh, to attend Austin College in Sherman, Texas. And and uh, while uh, while I was there, I met uh, Carol Kurtz, who Uh became uh, became my bride. Uh, Wow. Uh, in fact, Carol and I married in, uh, 1962. Wonderful. Uh, on May the 27th. And, uh, we, we graduated from college on May the 27th of 1963. So. My goodness. So you're a senior year, year. You were married. We were married. And, uh, and, uh, in fact, Carol had finished early and she, as I mentioned earlier, she, her first teaching assignment was, uh, we, we became very wealthy when she started teaching full time. <laughs> you were in the big bucks then, huh? But, uh, you know, when you look back on things, uh, and particularly in a Christian perspective, I think I have to just give God credit because I just kind of fell into a lot of things. And, yeah. and uh, you know, uh, Carol uh, Carol had not grown up in this area. And, uh, in fact, uh, when she, uh, she finished high school in Tyler, but her folks had moved back to New York, and she wound up going to Austin College. Now, what's the chance of a guy from Celeste, Texas, Meeting a lady like that and uh, and marrying her, and, uh, 
But uh, we uh, celebrated 58 years of marriage this past May, and uh, 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 I would like to say it's all been blissful, but uh, <laughs> uh, for the most part it has, I think. Uh, Carol and I uh, did not... Uh, did not were not able to have children on our own, and and you know God stepped in and blessed us again, and we have a, a two two children, a son and a daughter. Elizabeth is our older. She's a, I'm afraid to say now. She probably wouldn't want me to say, but uh, <laughs> uh, and then Brad is our our youngest son, and they're both married and uh, and have children of their own. Uh, Brad's children are pretty much grown, uh, uh-huh. but uh, it's just been a. a seeming uh blessing that just continues to flow and uh, i uh spent some years when i was not too faithful i, I attended church regularly but i just didn't participate and I, I would just like to say to our members and uh to everybody that might be listening uh if you're really going to get the most out of whatever you're doing you've got to be part of it amen and uh church is no exception Amen. Uh, I uh, was in a group of young couples at uh, my, the Presbyterian Church uh, here in Greenville, and yeah. uh, they were. I was getting on them a little bit because they weren't bringing their kids to church. Oh, I see. And one of them responded and said, "You know, if we had some, if we had a class that we could come to, uh-huh. we'd bring our kids. Yeah. And we don't want to teach it ourselves. And I said, "Well, how about if I teach that class? Yeah." And it just came out of my mouth. I really didn't. <laughs> but I found that I probably got more out of it than they did uh, because it forced me to do some things like study the Scripture. Amen. And uh, and uh, and be prepared each Sunday. Uh, and uh, that has been a blessing to me. And when I came to Highland Terrace, uh, I wasn't here too long till I had the same opportunity. And uh, I, I've, I've enjoyed uh, uh, continuing to teach and uh, You've been a very effective teacher, Mickey. You know, life is a fragile thing, and family is so precious, and it can be quickly taken away. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to a funeral to be with Danny Walker, one of our church members, and his granddaughter and both of her parents, Danny's son and daughter-in-law, were taken last Sunday night in a plane crash down near Bryan, Texas. Many of our listeners will have heard about that. And um, what a uh, difficult thing it was to go and see Danny that very night in the home of his um, other son, uh, Noby, Noble Walker, mm-hmm. who's uh, the brother of David who died. Yeah. Went over to Noby's house last Sunday night to sit down with his wife, Kelly, and Danny and another daughter, Crystal. And can you even imagine, you know, no, the... Okay. Uh, the situation there, I told Danny that night, I said, I'm, um, you know, pretty tough guy as long as everything's okay with my kids. But uh, I can't stand to, to think about my kids going through a hard time. Sometimes our kids do go through hard times. And all of us do. It's very difficult to watch. And, uh, you know, we uh, we shouldn't take it for granted, but we do. And Next time when we get together, if I could ask you to stay with us one more session, Mickey, I want to talk with you about um, the uh, the process of adoption and uh, how special that is, how sacred, really, a privilege it is to be an adoptive parent and how that all shook out for you and Carol. So we'll, we'll visit that subject when we come back again next time. 
listening today to the His Mighty Hand radio broadcast with our guest, my dear friend, Mickey Pearson. And uh, we're so glad to have you, our listeners, and pray God will bless you now. We shift our attention to the scriptures and pray you may be touched today by His mighty hand. And now here's the host of His mighty hand, Pastor Chet Haney. Praise God for the opportunity now to open our Bibles and to hear from the Lord as we go back to John chapter 12 again. And I just want to remind you today of the beautiful pageantry of this moment in the life of Jesus as a huge multitude, a great crowd gathered to welcome him into the city of Jerusalem in what we call the triumphal entry. The Bible says it was a great multitude, and I don't really know that we could number that crowd. I think it may well have been much larger than uh, almost any crowd we've ever seen in our lives, because there could have been up to two or three million people in the city of Jerusalem at this time, preparing for the Passover, people who had traveled from all over the nation of Israel. And it's possible that a 100,000 of them or more had gathered uh, to celebrate the arrival of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. There could have been a 100,000 or perhaps up to a million. Can you even imagine a crowd of that size, the magnitude and the power of that many people that excited with one voice? And why were they excited? Well, there's a specific reason that's mentioned here in the scriptures, and we're going to pick up from last week's passage, just a couple of verses at the end, starting in verse 9. Here's the reason why the crowd was excited in a frenzy pitch of enthusiasm. The Bible says in verse 9, a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, that is in Bethany, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see who? Word had gotten around about Lazarus. Don't you know that was true? I'm telling you, when something like this happens and God does a great work, the word of his work is going to get around. It was the talk of the town. And I'm not just talking about Bethany. Now, the whole town, the whole great, um, you know, megapolis of the city of Jerusalem, which was a large and uh, powerful city, in that day, and even more so today, everybody was talking about Lazarus. Nobody could believe it. And yet there were so many eyewitness reports, no one could deny it. And uh, the word that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead caused many ears to perk up, many eyes to widen as though with great wonder. And many people wanted to see this man who had been raised from the dead and especially the one who raised him. Now, the Bible says uh, Jesus had raised him from the dead, verse 9. The chief priest, verse 10, says they also were hearing the crowds. They were hearing the talk. They were hearing the word about Jesus. And so they plotted to put Lazarus to death. Because on account of him, many, there's that word many again, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. And so the next day, the Bible says in verse 12, a great multitude. How many do you think it was? It's only speculation. It's only a guess. 
I have an idea. It was a ton of people. A great multitude in a fever pitch of excitement because of Lazarus. They had come to the feast. When they heard Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, uh, they wanted to see him. We actually see this again over in verse 17. The people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, what did they do? They bore witness. They told the story. You couldn't stop them from telling the story. It was all they could talk about. And for this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. So everyone was coming from everywhere because of this amazing work that Jesus had done, raising Lazarus from the dead. And what did they do? They took branches of palm trees, and they went out to meet him, and they cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Now, you may remember when we were in John chapter 6 months ago. We've been in John a long time. And I've loved every moment of it. Honestly, it's been a blessing to me. We've taken a break here and there. And we'll take a break again in the month of December as we begin to study the season of praise that Christmas is going to be this year. But when we were in John chapter 6, you will well remember that Jesus did another remarkable miracle. This time it was the feeding of 5,000 men with just five loaves and two fish. And that miracle was so meaningful to all the people who were there who partook of that food. Hungry people who had nothing to eat. And there were not enough little villages around with enough food in each village to feed them all. Everybody knew we had a logistical nightmare on our hands. This great crowd of people had no way to possibly feed them. Philip even said to the Lord, you could take a year's salary and everybody might get one nibble. There's no way we can do it. And Jesus said, you feed them. And they brought what they had. And uh, the disciples said to Jesus, "Here's, here's a couple of fish and five loaves, but what is this? Compared to so many. And Jesus took what they had. And he blessed it. And he broke it. And he fed those people. And the Bible says after all the people were fed. And after all the fragments were gathered. And all the baskets. Twelve baskets full were left over to feed those surrounding towns. And to bless a whole lot more people. The people in that moment wanted to take Jesus by force to make him king in Jerusalem right then. And he forbid it. He would not allow it to happen because it was not yet his time. Uh, The whole time Jesus was ministering and teaching, preaching and doing wonderful signs in Galilee and down in Judea and All over the nation of Israel. There was a sense of timing with the Lord. And he would not allow his popularity to overflow. Nor would he allow his opposition uh, to get out of control. Not before his time. Jesus knew his time was coming. And now the Passover was near. Now his time was drawing near. Now Jesus would allow the voices of the people in fever pitch to shout all they want to. As a matter of fact, he said in another one of the Gospels, if the people were silent, the rocks themselves would cry out. 
as he entered the city on this amazing, amazing day. Now, the Bible says in verse 14, Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it. Of course, we read in Matthew's account of this same experience in Matthew chapter 26, that when Jesus entered the city, they went and found a young colt that had never been ridden. And uh, Jesus said, if you'll go into certain such city and find this certain such house, there'll be a colt, a young colt tied there. He said, bring it to me. And if anybody asks you anything about it, just tell them the Lord has need of it. And this is exactly what happened. Just as Jesus said, they found everything as he said it would be. And they brought that colt and they placed Jesus on it. And he began to ride into the city. You know, there's another place where the Bible mentions Jesus on a mount. I want to show it to you. It's in Revelation 19. The Bible says, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. In his eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written on it that no one knew except himself. He was clothed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the wine presses of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written. You listen to this name. King of kings and Lord of lords. Isn't that powerful? Well, the Bible says, I'd love to have heard it, wouldn't you? The voices of this multitude of people raised in one voice, in one chant. Can you even imagine 100,000 people or 500,000 or a million people saying, Hosanna! Hosanna! top of their voices and not only that they weren't just chanting they were singing psalm 118 it's a beautiful song of praise hosanna hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord the king of israel i have no idea the tune or the meter or the sound or the harmonies but i have an idea If you and I could have heard it, it would have been amazing. It would have given a chill to everyone. There's no way the hairs on the back of your neck wouldn't be standing straight up when you heard those people singing those praises to God. Well, I tell you what, if you feel like you missed out, you're going to get another chance. Because over here in the book of Revelation... Here's what the Bible says. I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders. And listen to this. I know the number now. The number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. That's a lot of people. Thousands of thousands means millions. 10,000 times 10,000 means billions. That's a lot of people gathered around the throne. 
singing the praises of God. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wisdom and riches and honor and glory and blessing. I'm going to tell you one of the thrills of heaven is going to be the multitudes of people gathered around the throne of God singing with one voice in unison with one heart the praises of the King of Kings. It's going to be thunderous. It's going to be so loud. And so beautiful at the same time. And we're all going to get caught up in it. In the fury of the praise of the majesty of God which rightfully belongs to Jesus. Every creature which is under heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea. And all that are in them I heard say blessing and honor and glory and power to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever. And ever and the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. One day, we're going to be there. And on this day in Jerusalem, there was a nice little preview of heaven. It's a nice little moment. When all the people for this moment began to just lift up their hearts and lift up their voices and lift up their spirits in one voice, in one heart, a great multitude in praise to a king on a colt. Now, do you know the Bible says the disciples could not really comprehend what was going on in that moment? Not yet. Uh, in fact, I find a lot of comfort in this verse and I want to try to share it with you this morning, and I pray it'll be a blessing to you as well. The Bible says in verse 16, the disciples did not understand. Not yet. They did not understand these things at first, which tells us it probably caught them quite by surprise. As a matter of fact, their motivation for the last month or so, had been to keep Jesus hidden out from danger because the fever pitch, if you want to call it that, of his opponents was not to praise him. It was to try to find him, to arrest him, so that they could fulfill their plot to put him to death. And now, everyone's praising him. I don't know that anyone could have been more surprised And the disciples themselves, they did not understand these things at first. But, watch this, when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered the things that were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb, raised him from the dead and bore witness. Now there's a lesson for us here. If we're wise enough to receive it, that a lot of things we go through in this life, honestly, if we're authentic and transparent and truthful and honest about it this morning, we just don't understand in the moment. Understanding often comes later. In retrospect, looking back, when you take the experiences of your life, whether they are joys or sorrows, 
whether they are great moments of victorious high praise to God or whether you find yourself in the valley of the shadow of death and you cannot comprehend it or understand it in the moment. Here's what the Bible says happened to the disciples, and I'm confident it will happen to you as well. They didn't understand it at first, but later they did. Do you know what the disciples did later? They spent many days in the Word of God and in prayer. In prayer and the ministry of the Word. And they meditated on and reflected on and remembered their life experiences in the context of the words which Jesus spoke. Can I just ask you, have you ever been through something in your life that was so mysterious and so painful or so powerful? that you just couldn't comprehend in the moment what in the world God was up to. Anybody been there? You know what? It's okay. You don't have to comprehend it all in the moment. Just hang on to the king. Keep your eyes on that king who's riding on a colt or perhaps on a white horse. And one of these days you'll recognize through reflection and through the word of God and through prayer That the same Jesus, who is King of kings and Lord of lords, he's got you under control as well. Thanks for listening today to His Mighty Hand, the radio ministry of the Highland Terrace Baptist Church located on Joe Ramsey Boulevard, right here in Greenville, Texas. Join us each week at this time as we celebrate His work in our lives. Through 